All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the fifth episode of American Memoirs. I'm your host, Bo Gersnich, the dude cuckoo enough to spend two years reading all the U.S. presidential memoirs. And now I'm here to share some interesting stories and perspectives from my studies. I hope that you enjoy it. For today's episode, we're going to continue on in the era of World War II and talk through the surrender of, of imperialist Japan, uh, which will include the lead up to Truman's decision to drop the atomic bombs, as well as the immediate political ramifications uh, in the East. So uh, to start off, for those who don't know him, President Harry Truman did not have the desire to be President Harry Truman. Uh, Truman was a senator from Missouri uh, for 10 years leading up to the election of 1944, uh, and he generally did enjoy that role, and he found a lot of success within it. Uh, in 1944, President FDR, which is uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, was poised to run for an unprecedented fourth term as president. The reasoning for breaking precedent was the same as uh, when he broke it for his third term, uh, which was war was... Uh, at hand across the globe, and the political operatives at the time did not want to switch leadership at a time like this. So uh, his running mate in the prior election of 1940 was Henry Wallace, uh, who, if you do not know him, he was a staunch liberal and a bit of an outsider. Uh, And you could really draw a very strong comparison of today's Bernie Sanders. So it has a lot of uh, like across Uh, different populations of people, but generally doesn't get along really well with anyone politically. uh, And so he's a little bit of an outsider. Uh, Wallace was picked for FDR's VP role for the third term uh, when his original vice president challenged him to be president, uh, which obviously hard to come back from. Uh, So they uh, had a successful term together. um, But Wallace had been shaking the political establishment and his Uh, liberal policies at the time and, you know, the 30s and 40s uh, would have still been considered liberal in today's day and age, Uh, which means, you know, the political establishment did not like him. They did not uh, want him around. uh, And they were also that political establishment uh, had been operating under the assumption that should FDR win this fourth election, this fourth term, he would die in office. Uh, And they made that decision and they made that inference because his health and his body uh, were visibly bad and his mind was kind of going with his body. Uh, The war had taken a a really strong toll on FDR. Uh, He had been uh, basically the main point of contact. All of the foreign policy was essentially going through FDR at the time. And uh, he had been smoking like two packs of cigarettes a day. And so the guy was not well. And uh, so the establishment could not tolerate a figure like Wallace uh, ascending to the presidency. So it was under those assumptions that uh, political pressure afforded a more neutral candidate. And Harry Truman ended up being that candidate for vice president. So the uh, election was really a breeze for them. The Democratic ticket won by over three million votes. Uh, And so... For 82 days, Truman served as vice president, 
which was from January 20th to April uh, 12th, 1945, uh, before FDR did in fact pass. So his untimely death occurred 82 days into that fourth term. Uh, and Truman will self-admittedly say he didn't do a whole lot as vice president. Uh, he didn't have much time. <laughs> there wasn't, you know, I think he only met with FDR a couple times before uh, suddenly he was he was thrust into the presidency. Uh, as president, you know, Truman would be tasked with probably more than any president had been before him. So he was uh, basically going to have to deal with a lot and make a lot of decisions. Uh, reason being is the situation in Europe at the time uh, that Truman ascended to the presidency was pretty much assured victory. So the uh, Italian puppet state, which was uh, the Italians surrendered once and then uh, Hitler and the Nazis came in, established a puppet state, and that puppet state uh, surrendered a second time. <laughs> and they did that on May 2nd, uh, 1945, which was 20 days after Truman took over, uh, which was followed six days later with the German surrender in Europe. So thus, uh, the war in Europe ended, uh, and it was only actually the night before VE Day, which was Victory in Europe Day, that Truman had moved into the White House. So FDR, legendary figure, uh, he had been the embodiment of American leadership for over a decade, and the end of the war in Europe was very much his accomplishment, but it was up to Truman to pick up the pieces and finish up the war in the Pacific. So... Uh, and the war in the Pacific, that probably was Truman's uh, largest priority at that time. Uh, he really needed the war to be over. Uh, and he knew with the current information at hand that in order to achieve that, it was going to be mass bloodshed. So the question at hand was whose blood was that going to be? Uh, Truman, when he came into office, was keen to meet with the Soviets uh, as soon as possible to try and convince them into the Pacific theater of the war. Uh, part of that is, you know, the share of, of blood that was going to be shed for this. Uh, and part is the uh, continuance of the promise that Joseph Stalin had made to FDR to uh, get into that war after the Germans had surrendered in Europe. So the Soviets at the time uh, had two conflicting promises uh, to the two sides of fighting in that Pacific theater. Uh, to the Americans and to the British, they promised that they would enter the war within three months of the end of hostilities in Europe. Uh, whereas to the Japanese, they had signed a non-aggression pact that was not set to expire until April 13th, 1946. Uh, that was going to be about a year after the events transpiring in this uh, period that we're looking at. So... Uh, it happened that the Russians were also really, they, they were itching to meet as well. Uh, they wanted to resolve and affirm uh, the winnings that they were to receive in the aftermath of the fall of Germany. Uh, while a lot had been tentatively agreed to two months prior at their last meeting of the big three in Yalta uh, with a new leader in America, they wanted to make sure that the commitments uh, that they received were going to be upheld. So cue the Potsdam Conference. Uh the Potsdam Conference was going to be a uh, the third and final of the big three conferences between the uh, Soviets, the United Kingdom, and then the United States in World War II. 
going into Potsdam Conference, the Soviets had uh, a tentative start date for their own attack on Japan for August 20th through the 25th of 1945. Uh, they had committed, again, th- uh, three months after the Germans surrendered, they would join that theater. And so it's a good note to make that their goal right now is going to be August 20th to the 25th as some type of uh, entering of the war. Uh, but during this meeting, Truman was really much the new guy in the block, as Winston Churchill, the uh, United Kingdom's prime minister, and Joseph Stalin from the Soviet Union, uh, they had been at the previous two conferences in Tehran and in Yalta, uh, and in, they had known each other. They had been the leaders throughout the entire war effort, and so they, they understood what was going on like the back of their hand. They had lived it for many years. Uh, so in a move of cordiality, uh, they decided to make Truman the chair of the conference. Uh, and so when the three met in uh, Potsdam, the party's uh, main priorities could probably be outlined as such. So again, the United States wanted the Soviet Union to join the war in the Pacific to save as many American lives as possible. Uh, the Soviet Union wanted to solidify its territorial and resource acquisitions, including for their new client states. And then the British were seeking to prevent the Soviets from filling that power void and taking over Europe, retaining as much as uh, they could of the British 1920s vast empire, which had been the largest in history. Uh, so the start of the surrender of the Japanese can really be pinpointed to this conference. Uh, Potsdam went on for about 16 days, and you could split that up in two different parts. Uh, The first part of the conference kicked off and the agenda was set on the topics the Big Three wanted to discuss. They were as follows. The establishment of a council of foreign ministers, uh, what to do with control of occupied Germany and its disarmament, denazification, uh, and of its people and economic controls and anything of the like. Uh, They wanted to discuss what to do with the reorganization of Romania and Bulgaria. Uh, They wanted to talk about a revision to the policy towards Italy, uh, the Polish question, a division of the German fleet and reparations to be paid to the winners of the war. Uh, Russia wanted to talk about trusteeships for itself under the UN Charter. Uh, They wanted to as well talk through the relations with access satellite states such as Hungary. They were to discuss the Franco regime in Spain, uh, the question of Tangier in Morocco, and then the former French colonies of Syria and Lebanon. So uh, a lot of territory, a lot of countries, uh, things that they were basically going to try and discuss and make a decision on before official peace conferences could uh, make it. So they were basically just wanting to make a united front between the three most powerful countries and the three basic winners of this war. We wanted to kind of decide the peace before the, the peace could be decided on. Uh, and, and Stalin, as a negotiator, had a very unique ability to sprinkle in humor that made his intentions less serious and easier to stomach. Uh, so as an example from that first day of the conference was when Stalin had called out Churchill Uh, for not wanting to give Russia her fair share of the German fleet. Uh, The fleet being uh, their boats and uh, vessels and things like that. So uh, Churchill came back and said that the entire fleet should be destroyed as weapons of war were horrible things and the capture of the vessels should be uh, sunk. So Stalin hit back again and said, let's just divide it. If Mr. Churchill wishes, he can sink his share. 
So that was kind of the dry humor that diffused a lot of the arguments over the course of those 16 days. Uh, but after the first day, Truman was basically, uh, he was relatively confident about how the conference was going to go. Uh, he knew from the start because of Russia's immense losses, which were accounting of millions of people, uh, probably about 15% of their entire population. Uh, they were going to want immense consideration from the, lo the losers of the war. And he could also surmise that the British intentions who were attempting to restore uh, their previous empire, uh, they could feel that pressure coming on as well. So an example of that included Churchill wanting to strengthen British dominion in the Mediterranean as their trade route from British India to England was uh, being subtly compromised. Um, so he could see that the two countries' desires had potential to conflict with each other. And the Americans, again, they really just wanted the war to end. They were uh, funding it and sick of funding it and uh, providing most of the resources for free through the Lend-Lease Act and had Americans dying day after day. And so this war needed to end on both fronts. Um, so the first day goes uh, without a hitch. They decide that agenda, uh, see what they're going to talk through. Uh, but what Truman did not share on that first day uh, was that on the day prior, he had received word in a coded message from the U.S. that the first atomic bomb test had succeeded. Uh, so that although development was years in the making for that bomb, uh, it was generally a very new concept to him as a person, uh, as it was top secret. And as vice president, he wasn't allowed to know about it. As a senator, he wasn't allowed to know about it. So generally, this atomic bomb, this whole concept, uh, it was really only about three months old in Truman's mind. But the Americans were very excited about it. Those who had known about the project for a long time, uh, they knew what kind of impact it could have. And so uh, early that morning on the day the conference started, Secretary of War Stimson uh, he flew into Potsdam to have an in-person meeting about what that meant for the war. So the American scientists and the military leaders, they weren't fully confident yet in the usage against the Japanese, uh, but they did feel that the successful test, it was a great sign, and they thought uh, in a worst-case scenario, it could be available by the end of August. So uh, on that same day, Stalin had demanded from his military uh, that their intended attack between August 20th to the 25th be moved up 10 days. So, uh, and the first day of the conference, Stalin declared to his allies that they were going to do that, and he bumped up uh, their anticipated uh, entrance of the war to August 15th. So America's main objective, again, in this conference was the end of the Pacific War. Uh, the U.S. and Australia had been fighting the bulk of that side of the war, and the people back home really wanted it over. So the calculation at the time was going to be over a million of lost American lives uh, for a mainland invasion of Japan, and that thought was pretty frightening. So uh, for about seven more days, the meetings between the three countries continued with mixed success. Uh, the tension was becoming increasingly more obvious as the Soviets and the British and U.S. were drawing further apart on issues. So in the background of these meetings, seven days after the first test, on July 24th, official military authorization was given to use the atomic bomb in Japan. Uh, they had declared four uh, desired targets, which were Hiroshima, Kokura, Niigata, and Nagasaki. Uh, and the target date for the first bomb was at or around August 3rd. So... 
when the military had decided on that authorization uh, that same day, in between meetings, Truman had casually mentioned the bomb to Stalin. Uh, he let the su Soviet Supreme Leader know that the Americans were in possession of a new weapon of, quote, unusual destructive force. So uh, Stalin, he <laughs> in that he showed no special interest uh, and replied that he was glad to hear it and hoped that he would uh, or that they would make good use of it against the Japanese. So he's pretty nonchalant about uh, this bomb and whatever Truman was sharing. And uh, Truman at the time kind of just took that uh, as a A-OK. -okay. Uh, but really, Stalin had known about the American objective for quite some time through spies he had within the U.S. government. Uh, so the Soviets had started their own nuclear research in response to this, but had thus far been unsuccessful. So uh, it's probably likely uh, based, you know, and this is just me guessing here, that the Soviets had received news of the successful test of the bomb on the same day that Truman did uh, at the start of the conference, given that Stalin's desire to expedite their entry into the Pacific, for, the, the Pacific War was made that same day. Uh, so the following day of when uh, we authorized the use of this bomb and uh, Stalin is made uh, personally aware of it from Truman, uh, which is July 25th, Churchill and the British delegation leave the conference uh, as the British need to have an election back at home. So uh, the conference, it effectively goes into recess until the 28th, which gives uh, both the Soviets and the Americans uh, a couple days to figure out their plans. So during this lull, uh, this period between the two parts of the Potsdam Conference, on July 22nd, uh, the Potsdam Declaration is declared, uh, which is on behalf of the U.S., the Chinese, and the British, uh, which outlined the conditions of surrender from the Japanese. The Soviets were not included in this, although they were consulted and they, as they had not yet declared war on Japan. I won't read the specific conditions, uh, but a quick synopsis would be that the Japanese need to unconditionally surrender, uh, that they will retain sovereignty over their four main islands, uh, and that uh, their militarism and all that needs to end. Anyone in power needs to leave. Uh, but they will not be enslaved as a race or destroyed as a nation, uh, and they will eventually be uh, returned back to uh, their own sovereignty, and uh, that they will, uh, the occupying forces will leave, and that they will be able to retain all of their economic uh, capability uh, in the future once all of these certain objectives are, are met. So the, they're actually a very reasonable. Uh, unconditional surrender that is provided to the Japanese. Uh, and so when the Japanese received this ultimatum, uh, sources have said that they were divided on the course of action. So the prime minister, foreign minister, and uh, cabinet secretary, or secretary and even the emperor had agreed in principle that the ultimatum was acceptable. It was their military leaders who had opposed this ultimatum, uh, calling it dishonorable. Thus, uh, it was the Japanese decision at the time to wait until their correspondence with the Soviet Union were replied to. So as I said earlier, the Soviets and the Japanese, they had been uh, under this non-aggression pact that they had signed with each other. And so the Japanese were attempting to use them as a mediary with the rest of uh, the Soviets' alliance.
Uh, so two days later, on July 28th, the British come back, and they come back without Churchill. Uh, so the British had elected a new prime minister to the surprise of the entire conference, and Clement Attlee was now their main man. So uh, the conference resumes, and immediately uh, Stalin shares a note that they had received from the Japanese, and the note goes as follows. On July 13th, the ambassador had the honor to submit a proposal of the Japanese government to send Prince Konoye to uh, Moscow. He had received the reply of the Soviet government, which did not see the possibility of giving a definite reply to the approach because no definite proposal had been made. In order to make the matter more precise, he was communicating the following. The mission of the prince was to ask the Soviet government to take part in the mediation uh, to end the present war and to transmit the complete Japanese case in this respect. He would also empower to negotiate with respect to the Soviet-Japanese relations during the war and after the war. Simultaneously, he wished to repeat that the prince was especially charged by His Majesty, the Emperor, to convey to the Soviets that it was exclusively the desire of His Majesty to avoid more bloodshed by the parties engaged in the war. In view of the foregoing, he had hoped that the Soviet government would give favorable attention to his request and would give its consent to the arrival of the mission. Uh, Stalin also shared with the group that the Soviets did not reply to this request yet. Uh, the Japanese, uh, they were basically expecting a reply though. So it was kind of a little bit of a uh, ghosting that was occurring. So. While the Japanese did not officially reply to the Potsdam Declaration, uh, they did broadcast on their radio that the proclamation was unworthy of consideration and absurd. So uh, this could have inter been interpreted as either propaganda uh, to encourage the Japanese people in their war efforts, uh, or it could be seen as an unofficial response from the government. Uh, but regardless of that, the official record was one of silence that uh, the Japanese did not give an official response. So around this time, uh, in secret, Stalin had pushed his military again to move up their invasion date to August 9th. Uh, this move up was not shared with Truman, Attlee, or anyone else at the conference. So the remaining five days of Potsdam uh, saw the conclusion to most of the points of discussion. Uh, generally, the Soviets made out really well at the conference. Uh, they had many territorial and asset acquisitions agreed to before the official peace conference, uh, which basically meant that the peace conference, uh, they were going to do really well at it. Uh, the hunger that they had displayed was very clear to the Americans and to the British, and the consciousness of this hunger fueled some of the decision-making regarding the eventual occupation of Japan. So on August 2nd, Potsdam is concluded. Uh, and by the time the Potsdam conference was over, Truman had become even more convinced that he had uh, to adopt a tough policy towards the Soviets. Uh, Stalin had come to believe even more strongly that the U.S. and uh, the U.K. Uh, were conspiring against the Soviet Union. So uh, on August 6th, four days after the end of the conference, uh, Truman was on his way back home on a boat uh, through the Atlantic Ocean, and he received word of the successful hit on Hiroshima with the atomic bomb. Uh, reports concluded at uh, a complete success. The city had been duly destroyed. Specifically, it was stated, results clear-cut success in all respects, visibly effects, uh, visible effects greater than in any test. 
and they were correct. The results of the bombs were absolutely devastating. Uh, around 100,000 people would perish from the bomb, and the full scale of the brutal impact on the surrounding populations, it really wouldn't be understood for many years. Uh, but the, the damage was definitely uh, clear. So the Americans gave the Japanese three days to make a decision based on that first bomb. Uh, the Japanese did not make a decision, however, as they were still holding out for a peace settlement brokered by the Soviets. It's important to note that uh, prior to the first bombing, there had been 66 other Japanese major cities, which would be cities greater than 100,000 people, uh, that had been either partially or completely destroyed by regular bombing tactics. And uh, Hiroshima was actually the second greatest in destruction uh, with the fire bombings of Tokyo destroying more and killing more. <laughs> so the, the Soviets, though, they, they did make a decision based on this bomb. Uh, and they began their invasion of the occupied area of Manchuria, which was a portion of China, uh, on August 9th. They broke their non-aggression pact with Japan. Uh, and recounting this in his memoirs, Truman states, uh, quotes, Without warning, while Russian-Chinese negotiations were still far from agreement, Molotov sent for Ambassador Harriman uh, on August 8th and announced to him that the Soviet Union would consider itself at war with the Japan on August 9th. This move did not surprise us. Our dropping of the atomic bomb on Japan had forced Russia to reconsider her position in the Far East. So uh, Molotov also sent for Saito, who was the Japanese rep uh, who had been in Moscow at the time. Uh, when he asked about how uh, Saito had replied to the news, Molotov explained that Saito was a kind-hearted man and that he was always good. He always had good relations with him. Uh, Molotov continued that Saito inquired as to uh, what the Soviet statement meant with respect to the words of, quotes, to deliver the people from further sacrifices and suffering and to enable the Japanese people to avoid those dangers and destructions which Germany had undergone. Molotov replied that the Soviet government wished to shorten the duration of the war and decrease sacrifices. Saito then remarked that the Pacific War would not be of long duration. So what that basically meant uh, was that the, with the Soviets joining the war, there really was no longer any hope for the Japanese side for any type of negotiated peace. Uh, they were not dumb. They knew that their fate was sealed there. Um, so on August 9th, August 9th uh, the Soviets' attack on the Japanese positions continue. Uh, Manchuria, a province of China, which was huge, was like the size of Western Europe. Uh, they opened up three fronts uh, on the same day, and some of those fronts dove six to seven miles into the country uh, in that first day alone. So August 9th, while the uh, Russians had begun their invasion, uh, we dropped the second atomic bomb on Nagasaki. So... Uh, less than 24 hours after that day, so it's 7.30 in the morning on the 10th, the Japanese publicly announced on their radio, quote, In obedience to the gracious command of His Majesty the Emperor, whoever anxious to enhance the cause of the world peace desires earnestly to bring about the early termination of hostilities with a view of saving mankind from the calamities to be imposed on them by the further continuation of war, uh, the Japanese government several weeks ago asked the Soviet government, which, uh, with which neutral relations then prevailed, to render good offices to restoring peace vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the enemy powers. Unfortunately, these efforts to 
interests of the peace had failed the Japanese government in conformity with the august wish of his, his majesty to restore the general peace and desiring to put an end to the untold suffering engendered by the war had decided the following. The Japanese government is ready to accept the terms enumerated in the joint declaration which was issued at Potsdam July 26, 1945. <coughs> so after that, uh, after that radio message was declared, the Americans basically stopped fighting. Uh, peace was uh, pretty much tentatively there, uh, but the Soviets... Uh, did not see it as such, and they continued to cement their territorial gains. Uh, so the Soviets in this short window of time took over all of Manchuria, and they also landed uh, on the northern side of the Korean Peninsula and uh, cemented all of their uh, occupational territory north of the 38th parallel, uh, which would become known as North Korea. Uh, in addition to these large plots of land on mainland China and on the Korean Peninsula, uh, Stalin requested of Truman an occupational area on the island of Hokkaido, uh, which in addition to uh, the newly acquired uh, Kuril Islands, uh, which uh, fully sealed off the Sea of uh, Akuts, uh, they were a significant strategic importance to them. But uh, Truman, seeing what happened at Potsdam and seeing how they had been, or how they being the Russians, were treating the Germans and their territorial acquisitions uh, and their client states you know, within the Eastern Hemisphere of Europe, just said no. Like you're not getting uh, any type of occupational uh, say within Japan. You can join the forces uh, under MacArthur, as all Allied forces can, but there will be no like Soviet area, area. and uh, that made Stalin very angry. So he uh, felt that it was entitled to it, uh, but regardless, he did not have uh, the capability to fight back too much on that. So the Soviets took over what they could uh, in the eleventh hour and fifty ninth minute of the war. So. Uh, the end results were that Manchuria and the Japanese weapons in that state uh, that the were surrendered to the Russians uh, within the next year or so were basically just given over to the Chinese communists, uh, which is a part of the story that I haven't really uh, expanded much on. But beforehand, uh, there was civil war uh, going on in China between the nationalists and the communists. Uh, that the Soviet Union had been playing a minor part in, uh, but at the point where Japan invaded, uh, they basically said, hey, no more civil war until this is over. We got to get rid of the Japanese. Um, but once the Japanese were gotten rid of, uh, the communists uh, had kind of buddied up with the Soviet Union and they, they got all their weapons. Uh, and so uh, the nationalists didn't really have that uh, opportunity under Chiang Kai-shek. And so the Chinese Civil War, after the end of World War II, it didn't last a whole lot of time uh, before the communists had uh, taken over most of mainland China, uh, which has uh, you know, led to communist China that we see today. Uh, and it also scared away the uh, nationalist government, which ended up on the island of Taiwan. And we still hear about uh, conflicts uh, with that island between uh, you know one China policy and all of that 
Uh, and so a lot of the decision making from that uh, can really be uh, taken from, you know, the Soviets uh, very last minute invasion and uh, their ability to take over parts of China that they then gave over to the communists. Uh, and the other uh, major demographic is going to be the Koreans, uh, which uh, the Soviet Union came in and they uh, occupied north of the 38th parallel, which was kind of just this thing that they agreed to in passing. Um, but it ended up being five years later, that parallel uh, proved very difficult. The Korean War begins uh, and much more bloodshed occurs. And we have another you know, political standoff uh, that to tw this date in 2023 is, is still, you know, happening. So uh, I think after reviewing all of this and, and talking through it, there's some questions that we could think about. Um, number one is gonna be, uh, what was more impactful to the Japanese surrender? Uh, was it the dropping of the atomic bombs or was it uh, the Russian invasion? So the second question, uh, kind of a follow-up to the first would be, uh, would Japan have surrendered at the same time if the Soviets uh, invaded on their original start date? So basically with the bombs being dropped uh, on those two days, would the 10th have been when that, uh, when that uh, radio frequency was, was uh, sent out? Uh, third final uh, question regarding that topic is, uh, would the Japanese have surrendered if the Soviets had just said no to the request to broker peace uh, and not just left them hanging or left them ghosted. Uh, as well as there's a couple of questions about Potsdam uh, and how that transpired and how it kind of set the basis for the Cold War. Uh, if FDR and Churchill uh, had completed the Potsdam conference, uh, would the results have been any different? Uh, or did the tension that would lead to the Cold War uh, have been avoided if leadership from the first two conferences uh, had been retained? Uh, and then the final question I would, I would pose is, uh, how much of modern history in Asia was decided in that 24-hour period of August 8th, 1945, as the Russians uh, entered the war in the last hour uh, and made their territorial acquisitions that they did? So, cool. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope that this was interesting and a, uh, a good uh, dive into the Japanese surrender. Uh, as always, thank you so much uh, for listening uh, and looking forward to talking to you again soon.